But that's what I want to talk to us this morning for a few minutes about is spiritual devotion. And really, this sermon is sharing my testimony over the last couple of weeks that God has been wrestling with me about. This whole area of spiritual devotion. We've just sung a song like, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. I hope you think very carefully when you worship and when you sing. Because I think so many years of my life, I came into church and I sing these choruses and I know them and the words just roll out of my mouth. But as I get older, I'm starting to realize when I sing those words, God sees and God hears. And God knows if I really mean that. Lord, I need you. But does my devotion and more specifically the time I spend with him reflect what I say and sing Sunday after Sunday? Does your devotion and the time that you invest in your relationship with this man called God that you declare and that I declare with my mouth that we need, not just occasionally, but we sang, we need you every hour, does our devotion and our life and practice as his follower reflect what we say and what we sing. Last week while I was working on the fields up at our family farm, the Lord just began to really challenge my thinking about my relationship with Him. I mean, most of us here today would not think twice or even hesitate to say that we have a relationship with God. That's not uncommon language for people in a church to say, yeah, I have a relationship with God. I'm sure many of you, if you do have a relationship with God, have told other people that in the past. Yes, I do have a relationship with God. Most of us here today would probably, if I asked you, be able to give me a good definition of what a relationship really is and what contributes to a good relationship. Webster's Dictionary defines a relationship as a state of being related or interrelated, and this is the part I want us to focus on this morning. And the closeness of that relationship is evident... The closeness of that relationship is evident through the way two or more people talk to, behave towards, and deal with each other. So it's people who are interrelated, and evidence of the closeness of that relationship can be seen in the way two people talk to, behave towards, or deal with each other. Now, sometimes we do a great job of that. And sometimes we do a really bad job of that. And sometimes through our actions, people may wonder if we have a close relationship. i got to tell you a funny story that happened to Jen and I about how oh, I was on Father's Day. And just at, before I share the story, I want you to know, Jen and I have a fantastic marriage. We are in love. We are both following Jesus Christ, so don't panic, okay? Even though I'm the family ministry's pastor, okay? But I also want to be honest with you, and I'm going to be a little vulnerable here with you to also help you understand that just like you, Every one of us has to constantly fight our old sinful nature. Well, on Father's Day, my nephew, for some reason, Devin, are you here this morning? Devin and Keeler, where are you? Are you here? Up there. There they are. For some reason, my nephew, Devin, and his new bride, Keeler, who has just moved to the great country of Canada in the last month, decided to have their wedding on Father's Day. Now, we know that nothing too much happens on here on Father's Day at Calvary Baptist Church that I got to look after. So uh, it's great for all the other family flying in from Indonesia, coming up from Pennsylvania, coming from Kenya. Oh, don't worry. Calvin's got something going on in the church. That's okay. 
So Father's Day, they get married. So I wasn't able to be there for their ceremony. But as soon as the service was done here and Christian was finished and we had a chance to talk with some of the people who responded to the gospel, I got into my dad's uh, big car that he lets me so kindly use every week and started heading for the border because I had to make it to Rochester. My goal was to try and make it for the ceremony, but I didn't. But I did make it for the reception and uh, food's where it's at. So I was happy about that. (laughs) But I got to the border... And I just realized, I don't have a clue what's in the trunk of my car. I I don't have a clue. And then all these thoughts started going through my mind. Is my turkey hunting stuff still in there? Is my gun still in there? What about all the archery stuff from day camp? I have no clue what's in there. But they never check your trunk, so I'm good. So I show up, and the gentleman says, "Uh, is this your vehicle? I've never been asked that if it's my vehicle. First question, "Uh, no, sir, it's not. I'm 40 years old, and I still got to use my dad's car. You know? (laughs) So... It's my dad's car. Why do you have it? Because I don't have, I need two vehicles and I don't have the money to buy two vehicles, so he lets me use it. Okay, what's in your trunk? Wow. (laughs) Sir, I have no clue what's in my trunk. (laughs) I had to be honest. I couldn't lie. I have no clue what's in my trunk. I said to him, there possibly is a big net, and I'm not going fishing to steal the fish in New York State. It's a big net, and it's for archery. And then I said, and I think there also is a bag of mulch for our garden that my wife wanted in and I still haven't done it. So that might be in there. Okay, so he goes, give me the keys. Gave him the keys, he goes to open it. It's not working. (laughs) Sir, if I get the keys back, I can push this button because I know this button, my kids found out, pops that, what you want to get into. So sure enough, popped it. He looked and I was like, Lord, please just blind him to whatever's there that shouldn't be there. He shut the trunk and he says, okay, go on. I couldn't believe it. So off to Rochester I go. We had a great time at their wedding reception. Nice visiting family. And then the next day it was like, boom, all the people went back to their different parts of the world. And Jen and I and the kids were driving back to Oshawa that day. And I said, you know, we have the day. Why don't we take the kids by and show them Niagara Falls. Let's just stop by and show them Niagara Falls. So like a good husband, I said to him, you lead the way because you have the GPS and I'll follow you. Now remember, we're talking about evidence of how we talk to, behave towards one another that reflects closeness, right? So I'm following her, and I'm having a harder time keeping up with her as we start to hit the the metropolitan area of Niagara. And sure enough, you know what happens. She's gone. And I don't have a clue where I'm going. And like a spirit-filled man, I'm not getting upset at all. (laughs) Bless her, Lord. Give her a great trip. Protect the kids. Just look after her. I have no clue where I'm going. I, I, know the, I see steam, so the fall's got to be there. So I turn left down this road. No, it's the wrong road. So what's the next thing I do? Well, I'll give your wife a friendly call on the cell phone. So she picks up, and I'm, you know, hi, honey, how's everything going? No, I was like, don't you know when someone's following you to keep an eye on who's behind you so that you don't lose them? And I was like, Whoa. So I said, where are you? She says, get back on this road. I'm parked on the right. So there I see the van flashing, four-way flashers. Spiritual head of the home decides, I'm ticked. So I pull right in front of the van, park. I'm not moving until you decide you're going to lead the way again. We're talking from vehicle to vehicle, but there's no, there's no noise going back and forth, right? All of a sudden, she lays on the horn. I had the same look, sir. Exactly. I had the same look. She didn't just lay on the horn. And the horn just kept going. And I'm like, 
wow, I thought I knew my wife. I guess I don't. Finally, I realize she's not leading the way. I'm leading the way. So I take off. Finally, I see parking for the fall. So I turn left. There's nobody else around as I turn left. There's a cop car sitting on the corner. What happens? She's laying on the horn again. And I'm going, my wife has lost it. She has totally lost it. She has lost it. We're heading down this little road. There's a cop there. I'm going, he's for sure going to stop because he's going, there's domestic violence going on here for sure. <laughs> we head to the next intersection where there's a stop. <laughs> Finally, I'm like, what is going on? And I see Jason going, she's not doing anything. Somehow the horn had gone nuts on its own. And it just started going like this. So you see, not all the time necessarily is the action we have towards one of the evident that we are in a close relationship. But we are in a close relationship. We have since found our horn has a problem. So if I happen to see you, I happen to see you in town and it happened the other day. You know how sometimes you just want to remind someone it's being green and you got an advanced green. A tap on the horn. And the person's looking at me. I'm like, Calvary Baptist Church, feel free to come. We've got great programs for your kids. You know? But this is the aspect I want us to focus on today as we deal with our relationship. This whole aspect of, is there evidence of a close relationship between you and God? And as I sat on that old tractor last week on the farm going back and forth cutting the field, God challenged me. He says, yes, you do have a relationship with me. But what is the evidence of that relationship? Because most of us, if we look at our relationships that we have, we can all point out key things that indicate, that are evident that we have close relationship. Please do not misunderstand me, though. I am in no way saying that our actions, either mine or your actions, establish or determine whether you have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with God because he loves us. God loves us. He is the one who has established the opportunity for us to have a relationship with him. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, his enemies, Christ died for us. Christ declared himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14.6. No one can come to the Father, can have a relationship with God except through me, who, by the way, my Father sent. Right? So there's no credit anywhere for any of us so far. Then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that faith is not of your own. It is a gift from God so that none of us can boast. So do you see what I'm saying? None of us have the privilege of having a relationship with God except for the fact that he loves us, he's full of grace, mercy, and he has provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ. God's love establishes our relationship with him, and his love sustains our relationship with him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am convinced, are you convinced? That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the what? The love of God. It's God's love that sustains this relationship that he has established for us and provided for us that is in 
Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, just like my wedding ring that was given to me by my wonderful horn-beeping wife, as a sign, as a symbol of her love and devotion to me, this ring identifies that I am married, and more specifically, if you know our family, that I am married to Jen. God has also given us something to identify each one of us as belonging to him in relationship. God gave us his Holy Spirit. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the word of God says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. And what does it say? The promised Holy Spirit. We were marked, we were identified as being in a relationship with God, and the signal and the sign is more than just a ring. It's the actual Spirit of God that we are now His children in relationship with Him. So based on God's Word and the gift of faith to be able to believe and to receive what it says, we should all confidently be able to say that, yes, we do have a relationship with God. The issue that God was wrestling with me on that old tractor last week was, is in comparison to the time and devotion I invest to grow closer in relationships with others, my wife, my family, and friends, can I honestly with a clear conscience say that I have committed the same time and devotion to growing and establishing a close relationship with God? You see, based on his word, I know I have a relationship with God because of what he has done for me. But as I sat on that tractor last week, and I know what contributes to a good relationship, I had to wrestle with whether there's enough evidence in my life and practice before my God, who has established a relationship with me, based on the time and devotion that I spend with him in comparison to my other relationships, whether I really have a close relationship with God. I had to take a step back and be honest with God and myself and evaluate whether my life and practice match what I claim with my mouth to so many people. You see, in our relationships with family and friends, we might be able to fool one another. It might appear that we are very close, in fact, closer than we really are. In fact, you know I'm married to Jen, but unless you actually traveled with us day in and day out, would you be able to testify based on the evidence you see whether we actually have a close relationship. But with God, we can't fool him. You might be able to fool one another, I might be able to fool you, but we can't fool God if we have a relationship with him. I realize it's time to stop kidding myself by thinking that God doesn't really notice or care about the devotion that I give to our relationship that he has established. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God can't be mocked. If you follow sports, you would have seen on the news over the last couple of weeks this whole issue called the biogenesis case. How many of you have heard about this biogenesis case that involves professional major league baseball players who have been identified, there's 14 of them who tomorrow are going to find out their fate, but they have been identified as having a relationship with a closed Florida anti-aging clinic. Everything, I've never been to Florida, but everything is better in Florida. There's even anti-aging clinics. That is awesome. No wonder so many retirees head down there. Why, I would too, right? So there's this closed anti-aging clinic 
that had been found out to be distributing banned PEDs. Those are performance-enhancing drugs. Up in Canada, we call it Ensure for our retirees, but down there, they're actually giving them <laughs> performance-enhancing drugs. No wonder they're not aging, of course, right? So this clinic was an anti-aging clinic, but on the side, they were providing illegal banned PEDs. I want you to get those letters in your head, and I want you to remember them. PEDs. In this case, it was performance-enhancing drugs. This got me thinking on the tractor. What if there was an agency, a Christ follower's governing body, whose mandate was to show up unannounced at any time to anyone who claims to have a relationship with God and do a random testing of your spiritual devotion or my spiritual devotion. Looking for evidence that would confirm one is a PED, a practicing everyday disciple. What if there was a test to see if those of us who claim to have a relationship with God are practicing everyday disciples, would you or, or I test positive for a growing, close relationship with God? Would there be enough evidence? You see, I say, you have said we have a relationship with God, but too often I don't treat it with even the same commitment I do my other relationships. Spiritual devotion was a key component of King David's pep talk to his son Solomon just prior to Solomon taking over the throne in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Let's go there together. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. I will begin in verse 1. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. This huge assembly. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. For the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. I love Even you could do a whole sermon on that statement. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the tribe of Judah he chose my family, and from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son. And I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. So he's called all these people and he's gathered them all in Israel. And he's told them and he's given them the plans for the temple to be built and to explain why he's not going to be able to be the leader who's going to oversee its completion. He then takes time to introduce him to God's gracious plan in verse 5 of choosing his son Solomon to be the next leader the one to see the temple built. And it's in front of this huge gathering of all these officials. He's just finished his charge to the crowd. And then he turns and he looks one-on-one -on -one with his son. 
And this came up in my reading a couple of months ago, and it just captured my heart. And I thought, man, if that could be said of me, if that could be said of my kids, if that could be said of us as followers of Jesus Christ at Calvary Baptist Church. He gave his son Solomon an impassioned charge in verse 9 and 10. He said, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Wow. I found it interesting that in his personal address to his son, he didn't initially get into all the details of how to build the temple and what was required. He focused his son on what was important, spiritual devotion to his God. In this charge, I see three key components regarding spiritual devotion. That if any practicing, everyday disciple, a PED, would invest time into, would enhance the growth and closeness of my relationship, of your relationship with God. So that I would be able to say with confidence and a clear conscience that yes, I do have a relationship with God, and yes, if you evaluate my life, my devotion will reflect that. The first thing he encourages his son to do in verse 9 is to acknowledge the God of your father. Just a quick side note. Fathers, did you hear what David said? Acknowledge the God of your fathers. Moms, this doesn't excuse you because other translations say acknowledge the God of your ancestors. Moms, dads, grandparents, what God are you presenting daily before your family? What God... Can you honestly say to them, I pray that when you grow up, you will follow the God of your mom and dad? It's an interesting thought. It's a convicting thought. We don't have time to stay there today. The New Living Translation says, learn to know God intimately. Remember, this is all in the context of saying we have a relationship with God. You see, Solomon had witnessed God's relationship with his father and saw how devoted God was to his father. In spite of David's failings, God still bestowed upon him many favors, both temporal and spiritual. And it's with this backdrop in front of this great assembly that David urges his son to seek, to make time, to personally know God more. He wanted his son to own his own relationship with God and to acknowledge God as his God. Young people... Young adults, the only thing that is going to change the stats that so many books and so many articles are writing about, kids leaving the faith, they leave home and they drop out of the faith. The only thing that is going to keep you in the faith is that you personally know Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily about, yes, it's good to have good home environments. Yes, it's good to have parents who have taught you. But at the end of the day, we all have to own our own relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot rely on your parents' faith to carry you through. You have to rely on Jesus' strength and his salvation that he has provided for you. You need to own your relationship with Jesus Christ so that it doesn't matter if God happens to send you out to BC to university. It's not a question of whether you're going to go to church. Of course you are because you personally love and want to follow Jesus Christ. Whether your parents are there to take you or not is not an issue because it's your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And David is urging his son, you need to own 
your own relationship. Get to know this amazing God that has been so gracious to me. As one commentator correctly stated, Solomon did not need more head knowledge. He possessed that already. He had witnessed how God had related to his father. Rather, he and each of us here today need the experiential relationship with God that can only come through knowing, loving, and serving him. And ladies and gentlemen, that takes time. You cannot know someone, you cannot love someone, you cannot serve someone unless you make time for that person. So the question for us today, the question that I was wrestling with last week on vacation, how can I personally get to know God more in this relationship that I do have with him? First thing, read his word. You want to know more about him? This is his complete revelation of who he is. You have it in your hands. We have it in our homes. Knowing God through reading the Bible has never been more accessible. But that doesn't mean we are reading it more than ever. There's no excuse. We don't have an excuse. You know in your other relationships, your friends, your wife, they're not going to accept excuses. Why do we think God's going to accept excuses? We have his word accessible in so many forms now. The only way I can't get it at my farm if I don't take it with me is because we can't get reception up there for cell phone and stuff. But he's given me it on paper. We have it. It's so accessible, yet we are not reading it more than ever. In fact, research conducted by Barna showed that 54% of Protestant believers, only 54, that's just over half, read the Bible personally. That's outside of church time. That's outside of young adults, youth, children. It's time where you individually, personally, read God's word, 54%. Other research conducted in a survey in the late 90s. So this is in the late 90s. We know how technology and life has sped up even since then. In the late 90s, it showed that among Bible readers, the average amount of time spent reading the Bible during an entire week is 52 minutes. That's not even an hour. Now think about other relationships in your life, in my life, my spouse, my family, my friends. Would they say that I'm devoted to them if I only spend 52 minutes with them in a week? Would they be satisfied with that? Would 52 minutes reflect to you if you were evaluating my marriage? Would 52 minutes reflect to you a close relationship that I have with Jen? Of course not. So why do we think God is okay and satisfied with only 52 minutes? Folks, I'm not here to beat you. I have received my beating from the Holy Spirit last week on that tractor. And man, am I glad he got my attention. Because we can just cruise along in this relationship with God and think everything's cool and we're kidding ourselves. We're mocking God by the time we give him to actually say we have a close relationship with him. It's not about guilt, folks. I don't want you, I don't want me to miss out anymore on what God has for me. God longs for you and I to enjoy the full benefits of a close relationship with him. Go with me to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37 where you will see the heart of God in this verse. It's not about guilt, folks. It's about not wanting to miss out anymore on the full benefits of a close relationship with God. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather you 
your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. God longs to gather Calvin Kauf up this week under his wings. Unfortunately, too often I'm not willing. God longs to gather you under his wings, to stay close to him so you can experience the warmth and the closeness of this relationship that he has blessed you with, and he wants you to enjoy the full benefits of it. But too often, we are not willing. Why? Because we've allowed ourselves to be sucked into the on-the-go lifestyle that crowds out time to get to know God. Life is fast. In my notes, I white it out. And this might just be a small thing for me, but if it, if it helps you, then praise the Lord. I had written in my notes, take time, take time, take time. That wasn't strong enough for me. I, I erased them on. I said, no, I have to make time. Take time is too casual. Yeah, I'll take a few minutes here. I'll take a few. No, 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 no. God, help me to make time for you. Help me to make time for you. In a survey of more than 500 pastors, 47% cited lack of time as the main reason Christians don't read the Bible. In my life, that's not the case of needing more time. I don't need more time, folks. It's a matter of me reprioritizing how I spend my time. None of us need more time. We all need to reprioritize how we're spending our time. There's a great quote I found this week by a man named Oswald Sanders. He says, Mastering the art of quiet time, like any other art, will take time. And the amount of time we allocate to it will be the true measure of our conception of its importance. We will always find time for that which we deem most important. That's the message God got a hold of me on that old tractor last week. Yes, you have a relationship with me. But judging by your personal devotion, the time you spend with me reading my word, I don't think you have a real understanding of how important our relationship is. And God hit me in love, in grace, but in truth with that idea, that thought last week. It's true. We will find time for what we deem is most important. Think about your own life right now. Reflect this past week you just went through. Where did you spend your time? What you spent time on, was it the most important in light of the relationship God has blessed you with? If you have a relationship with God, getting to know him more requires being devoted to making time to read his word. As a practicing everyday disciple, would you test positive for this, should you be tested today. The second way we can get to know God is through communicating with him through prayer. Communication is crucial, as any of you know, to the growth of any relationship. And if it is neglected, the relationship is prone to deteriorate. In fact, in marriages, the two big issues that begin the decline in a marriage is communication and finances. Okay? So as a practicing everyday disciple, we are encouraged by the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray continually. Pray continually. Jesus himself modeled while on earth in his relationship with God the Father the importance of making time to pray. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the scripture says he spent time praying early in the day. Luke 5.16 says, and I underline these, often he withdrew. Not occasionally. Often he withdrew. He got out of the -the on-the-go life and withdrew to lonely places to pray. Luke 22, verse 39 says, he went out as usual. So this was common. This wasn't like, oh, that's bizarre. I've never seen Calvin take time out like this. Wow, that's weird. Right? No. What you want people to say is absolutely. That's exactly what he does. Every day he takes time, as usual, to go and pray in the Mount of Olives. You see, by observing Christ's life on earth and his practices of prayer, there is evidence to his close relationship with his Father. Barner research groups revealed that the average Christian spends three to seven minutes in prayer a day. One minute for each meal, two minutes in the morning when you wake up, and two minutes when you go to bed. Other studies show Christians spend somewhere between 15 to 30 minutes a week. That's a little over four minutes a day. Now, these are average. And I know in our church, we are above average, right? So don't feel like, you know, oh, well, no, no, you know what, folks? I'm your pastor. I land, I've landed an average too much. It's unacceptable. If I claim to have a relationship with God, and on top of that, a close relationship, and then I sing, Lord, I need you every hour, but I only spend four minutes with you a day in prayer. There's an amazing quote from this article I read called, from Next Generation Disciples. Listen to what it says. You think Satan doesn't know the power of prayer? He knows and he uses every means to distract us. The average household in 2009 spent 2.8 hours daily or about 20 hours a week watching TV. The internet is almost twice that amount since the blast of MySpace and now Facebook, which I have no clue what they are, at about 4.4 hours a day or 31 hours a week. The average for cell phone use is about two and a half hours a day spent talking or about 17 hours weekly, not including that is talking, taking the average teenager who reports spending 1.5 hours texting a day. We have all this time for other things, for keeping up with our favorite TV shows. I'm guilty. I go over to Phil's house to watch Duck Dynasty because I don't get the channel, right? For looking up, I'll go out of my house to follow a show. Did you hear what I'm saying? That's crazy, but I will not go out of my way to read God's word. Using the highest average, we give God 15 minutes of our day. We spend a total of 50 minutes a day, max on average, to tell God, listen, about our fears, our needs, our pains, sadness, to pray for friends and family, to pray for the missions, the sick, the homeless, the soldiers protecting our country, to pray for our government and the leaders over us, our work, to thank him for everything he has blessed us with or things he has done for us, to ask for his guidance in our lives, to tell him we love him, to pray for those lost souls and people we love who don't know Christ, and we accomplish all of this in 15 minutes. How much are we missing out? Remember, it's not about guilt. It's God tapped me on the shoulder and said, I got so much more for you. Just give me some of your time. How much are we missing out on? How many people do you give more than 15 minutes to? And the person who knows everything there is to know about you, who has planned the steps of your life, who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who cared enough to sacrifice his son for us, who loves us more than we can even know, 
we give him 15 minutes. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for challenging me last week. It's good to be challenged. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit is challenging you guys. It's good to be challenged by your Father because he loves us. And sometimes we need to be disciplined because he has our best interests in mind. I personally am tired of missing out on what else I might get to experience with my Father. And I, by God's grace, am going to choose to make more time for him. Finally, in closing here, after encouraging him to know God, he says, now serve him. But serve him with two specific things. Wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. So know him and serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. Serve him means a life dedicated to God. Here he's, he's alluding back to in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wholehearted devotion. The translation in the original Hebrew language for the word whole means complete, full, perfect, an upright heart. If we claim to have a relationship with him, we are to be wholly devoted to him above all other relationships. We cannot have, as a practicing everyday disciple, a divided heart. It has to be wholly devoted to God. And being able to serve him starts with the internal condition of our hearts. Psalm 51.10, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. A devoted, wholly devoted steadfast spirit within me. And that starts with a heart. Wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. You know, this verse just jumped out of me in my normal daily readings that are going to get more normal. And it jumped out of me and I thought, wow, I call myself a Christian. Do I know God? And do I serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind? I hope that phrase will stay in your head and in your heart all week. Wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. Wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. Willing means more than just that. It means to delight, to take pleasure, to be thrilled to serve God, who you and I have come to know personally and experience. My wife knows when I'm enthusiastic about a suggestion she makes. She doesn't have to second guess. Even though I am willing to do what she wants, if I'm not delighted about it and I don't show that I'm thrilled about it, she can't be mocked. <laughs> She's not, you're not going to fool her. And we can't fool God. God wants us to not just be willing out of a rigid, legal, compliance way, yes, I'll do it. No, remember wholehearted devotion, a pure heart. says, I'm not only willing to do it, but I'm actually excited to do this, God, because I don't want to miss out on what you have for me. So I'm thrilled to find out what your desires are, and I'm going to get joy in fulfilling your desires. The mind. The original Hebrew translation here, the concept is my whole personality. My mind, my will, and my emotions. All the inside stuff that makes me, me. Wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. I will serve him with that, but it has to start with knowing him. It has to start with knowing him. You see, our heart and our mind are so closely connected. Remember the greatest commandment when the Pharisee asked, what did he say? Jesus says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They are so closely connected. They cannot be separated. 
A great quote I read this week is, a divided heart goes hand in hand with a distracted mind. A divided heart goes hand in hand with a distracted mind. You have wholehearted devotion? Guess what? You're going to have wholehearted mind. You won't be distracted because you're totally devoted to the relationship with God. So why should we be concerned with knowing him? Why should we be concerned with serving him wholeheartedly? With devotion and a willing mind because God is daily, 24-7, 365 days a year, searching our lives. He does not show up unannounced from time to time to do random testing like Major League Baseball. Look at what the scripture says in our text. Chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, verse 9. Know and acknowledge the God of your Father. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Why? For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. God, who we are in a relationship with, is continually searching our hearts, desires, and thoughts. And every now and then, he puts us on the seat of a rickety old tractor with no one else around and says, I want to do some testing with you. And I want you to be honest. Because we do have a relationship. But honesty, is that evident to your family, to your wife? Is it evident, forget them, to me, that you are devoted to me, my child? The secrets of our soul are exposed before God. Therefore, I am choosing to be sincere because we cannot deceive the person who knows us so intimately. So in conclusion, I have come to learn that we have been graciously given the privilege to have a relationship with God. Don't take that casually. We have been graciously given the privilege to have a relationship with God. The question is, am I, are you devoted to it? Would you test positive as a practicing everyday disciple for getting to know God intimately by intentionally making time to read his word and pray? And would you be test positive as a practicing everyday disciple for serving him? And would you test positive for a wholehearted devotion and a willing mind? Because you see, Jesus doesn't leave much room for wiggle. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, that's my follower, that's someone I'm in relationship. Other, other versions say, whoever wants to come after me, whoever wants to be intimate with me, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. I pray that you, through God's word and the conviction of his Holy Spirit, will do some serious soul searching even this afternoon in your life. And I pray that you will join me on the journey so we can encourage one another. It's about working together so that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. I hope some of you will hold me accountable. Check up on me and say, hey, hey how are you doing with walking closer with God in terms of reading the Bible and prayer. It's a choice that I have to make. I have to own my relationship with God. And this week, by God's grace and through the strength of his Holy Spirit, I am choosing to follow him. And I pray that you will do the same. At the end of that uh, video that didn't work, the last line was says, you do the math. You know, unfortunately, if you go on to study the life of Solomon, 
Yes, you will discover that he most certainly received wisdom, but a divided heart led him astray. Treaties with Egypt, amassing and trading arms, the pursuit of wealth, the indulgence of the flesh. Solomon was making time for himself rather than God. And by the end, he concluded it was all meaningless. Do you know him? If you do, are you serving him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind? Look at your own life as a practicing everyday disciple, and you do the math. Let's not mock God in our relationship with him. Rather, let's give him the time he deserves as his practicing everyday disciples. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, I pray that through your power, I have accurately communicated what you were wrestling with me last week. Lord, I pray that you would encourage anyone here this morning. I pray in no way did I communicate in a demeaning or in a, in a beating up type of way. But God, I'm just so excited that you caught my attention. Thank you for catching my attention last week about our relationship. I thank you for my relationship with you, God. And Jesus, I thank you for making that possible. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that I experience the confirmation that I am God's child. And you are in me. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be honest. To stop thinking we can deceive you. Stop mocking you. Lord, help us this week as a congregation to make time for what is important. And you are definitely and must be at the top of that list. Go with us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.